Welcome. You're listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, everyone. As you're, uh, as you're getting your seat, I want to introduce myself to you if you don't know me. Uh, my name is Jordan Frazier, and I am the church planning resident here at ICC. My wife and children have been here, and I've been here since the end of July. And a couple weeks ago, I got to be on the stage and preach in Lamentations, and I get to do it again. I'm so excited. We are taking a break this week and next week from Lamentations. Who's enjoyed Lamentations so far? Anybody? Yeah, me for sure. I feel like Lamentations has given me the space I needed to be able to process some things in my own heart, and my own life, and be able to like push those things fully towards God with open hands and saying, all right, Lord, do with this what you want. And so I'm just so excited that that's where we've been and we'll get, we're going to continue in that. After next week, we'll pick back up in Lamentations. But I think it's a really great moment we have for us right now as a church to talk about local ministry. And this is some of my history here is I was here in 2014 through 2017 as the local and global missions pastor. And so this is kind of the stuff that I eat, breathe, sweat. This is all the stuff that I really enjoy the most. Uh, but even then, I still get a little bit uh, nervous. Uh, I'll, can I be vulnerable with you and admit something? I, I don't know any of other speakers or pastors in the room, but for the first time in my life, last week, I had a nightmare that I came up on stage to teach and I could not find the scripture reference. I was literally like, I swear I know the Bible, you know? And, and, and I think in my head, like I had, I don't know what had happened, but in the middle of the dream, I was like, Jordan, calm down. Like, you know the Bible, this is just a dream, it's okay. But that's been in the back of my head all week. And so I went ahead, as you can tell, I made sure I got the Bible that had the ribbon note in it today. I had it from the very beginning this morning. I was like, we're, we're safeguarding against anything terrible like that happening this morning. If you guys will just lean in with me today, even though we're taking a break from Lamentations, if you'll lean in with me today, I think what we're gonna talk about today is actually gonna catapult some of the things maybe in your own life, I know in the life of this city that all of us desperately wanna see. As a matter of fact, if you lean in with me today, I would argue that what we're gonna talk about and listen and learn today, if every believer took it seriously and realized the, the heart of what it means to be merciful, this world would look a lot different. And so I'm just encouraging you. I, I know it's a break. I know you can kind of be like, oh, Lamentations, I don't have to listen to the crazy poetry or how terrible someone's life is or, or all those type of things, right? I just want you to lean in today and hear what God has to say because I think he's right on time with what we're going through as a city, maybe where you are even personally, even for me today, it's something, a word that I needed to hear. And that's how I <clears throat> propped myself up today. I want you to know, even me talking about these things, I'm not an expert in these. These are, these are lessons. These are things that I myself have to walk in. I have to grow in. And I'm just encouraging all of us to do that together. All right. So today we are actually going to dissect a little bit of what our vision for this year is in local ministry. Uh, you may have seen it around the church from time to time, but our, our vision for this next season in our church is fostering a merciful missional presence in Memphis, one neighbor at a time. And that's a, that's a long statement, but basically it's like, it's the idea of how do we live our lives in a way that allows for those around us to see the hope that we have in Jesus, right? And so I want to break this down into two sections. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to foster mercy in our time. And next week, we're going to look at what it means to be missional as a church in this next season. Everybody go with that? All right, let's dive in. Matthew 25. If you got your Bibles, I would encourage you to take them out. 
If you've got a journal or notes, I would encourage you to write notes because there's, there's a lot of content that we're going through and I'm looking at the clock and I'm thinking I'm going to have to put myself on one and a half times speed to, to get there. All right. So let's dive in. Matthew 25, we're going to pick up in verse 31. When the son of man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, I think the Lord has a sense of humor, and I'll tell you why. Right before, five minutes before I came in to preach, I worked really hard on the outfit that I was wearing. I had my favorite jean jacket on. Um, five minutes before, my daughter looks at me and says, Dad, can I have your jean jacket? I'm really cold. <laughs> and I thought, I've got to give her the jean jacket. I'm about to preach on mercy. <laughs> There's someone that's saying they're cold, and I'm, I'm fine. I've, I've got to do this. So... Just to let you know, that's a practical way I'm walking in it today. But um, God does have a sense of humor. Um, I think from this, this passage, there are two questions that we've, we have to ask to, for our time today. Those two questions are this. Um, what does mercy look like in our day and time? And then the follow-up question is, who are the least of these? So let's, let's deal with the first question first. What does mercy look like in our day and time? All right, here's the definition I kind of came up with and I'll tell you how I got there after we talk about it. Mercy is the compassionate treatment of those in distress. Mercy is the compassionate treatment of those in distress. I wanna take you on a little tour. Let's, let's look at some, some clips, some highlights of some of the things that Jesus did. In Luke chapter eight, I think it's verse 43. You have the woman that was bleeding for years and years and years. And Jesus and the disciples are, are in a hurry to get somewhere. There's large crowds. And the woman thinks what? If I can just touch the hem of his cloak, I'll be healed. So he touches, he, she touches him. And then what happens? Was Jesus perturbed? Was he frustrated? Was he annoyed? No, he turns around and he asks, who touched me? And when she admitted that she did, he said these words, your faith has made you well. He saw her. He dealt compassionately in her distress. John 2, you see Jesus' first miracle is the wedding at Cana, right? And there's this, there's this large gathering of the Jewish people at this celebration. And there is a family that is desperate because all of a sudden they realized they are going to run out of wine. And not only they're going to run out, but everyone's going to know it. And the harm that that's going to do to them socially, the shame that it's going to bring their family, the, the struggle that it's going to place upon them as a people. And Jesus says, sees them. He turns the water into wine. And not only that, the, the wedding, the banquet manager comes up, tastes the wine. And he said, oh, hold on. This wine is the best wine you have. Why? Everyone usually serves that first, but you're going to serve that last. You see, Jesus doesn't just meet the need. He compassionately puts himself in the place to go above and beyond for those in need. Matthew 14, Jesus just hears the news of John the Baptist beheading. 
It says he was distraught and he left and went to be away by himself. And when he came upon the shore, he saw, it says he saw the people and he saw the sick and he felt compassion for them and he healed them. In the midst of his despair, in the midst of his own problems, he could have said, I have too much going on. There are too many things I'm thinking about. There, life is too hard right now. I don't, I, I, it doesn't matter. My scope is my problems. And he sees them and he heals them. You see, mercy, it makes a habit of giving others the benefit of the doubt. I, I want to walk you through a couple things that mercy does. And I just want to, I want you to have an honest self-evaluation of if in this current juncture of your life, you feel like you're being a merciful person. And that first one is hard. Mercy makes a habit of giving others the benefit of the doubt. I don't know about you, but that is a tough one for me to swallow. Mercy makes a habit of giving others benefit of doubt. Mercy is not in the habit of sending deadly glares to those who annoy us. Ooh, I hear it in the crowd. <laughs> Mercy gives charitably, knowing that eventually someone someday will take advantage of his generosity. Mercy welcomes you fully aware that this act may disrupt her own plans. Mercy relinquishes control when doing so allows another person to grow and to learn. Mercy makes it his business to help others succeed. Mercy clears the way for others so that they can walk on an even path, no matter how halting their steps or injured their souls. You see, mercy goes before. Mercy finds a way to meet a person where they are. And I think if we're honest um, and we look at our lives, maybe currently, if I, let, let's just use I statements. If I look at my life and I, I have to ask the question, does my perspective allow me to see the needs of others clearly? Does my perspective, the way that I see things, allow me to see the needs of those around me clearly? The answer I'm afraid is a lot of times no. And, and I, want you to, I want you to hear this and I want, I want you to be a part of this because in this moment, I think I have a couple reasons that may give some words to feelings that you may currently have. You may be in a place right now where you don't know how to be merciful because you feel so vulnerable or you feel so hurt. Like maybe you were merciful at, at one point, but there is so much hurt and pain that came along with that. You got burned and you said, I can't go back there. I, I can't put myself out there like that again. I can't give a resource to that person or I can't open my home and my life up to this person or I can't welcome this situation because I'm too afraid of what's gonna happen. While we don't see that perspective, I think the first thing is we're too hurt or even too cynical. We've gotten to this place of saying, I, Jesus, I'm not going there. I'm not doing it. It's too hard. The problem I fear is when we, when we get to places like that, where we're hurt and we're cynical, we can easily get to a place like this. This is a Henry Beecher. He says, the cynic is one who never sees a good quality in a man and never fails to see a bad one. He is the human owl, vigilant in darkness and blind to the light, always pursuing vermin and never hunting noble game. If we're honest with ourselves, let's, let's just have the perspective of our own life, have the perspective of our own decisions and even our own city at this point. How many of us can so easily move to this place of cynic? 
that assumes the worst in others, that sees all the negative things, all the bad things and refuses to look at the light we can find in other people. I think this is one of the greatest schemes of the enemy is to allow the darkness around us to overwhelm us and convince us that there is no light, that there is no hope, that there is no good reason to be merciful to others. I think equally as dangerous, the second reason why we don't see others' needs clearly as this. I think we're too busy. Can I get an amen on that? Are we too busy? It may be school, grad program, pursuing PhD. It may be family. It could be your job and trying to climb the ladder to success. It could be just the, the routines that you find yourself in. I think the truth is the enemy has made us busy and that makes the enemy glad. Because when we are busy, we turn inward to our own needs, our own desires and the things in which we feel like we have to take care of. Guys, we are too busy. John Mark Comer in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says this, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Mature completion and discipleship leads to outward work and service to others. I agree with him. I think we see that so often in our environment, in our community. It is what, and, I, and honestly, guys, I think for me, it's at a place of, I don't even realize how busy I am. And so I don't even understand the blind spots I have around me. A few years ago, uh, how many SEO students in the house? A few? A few years ago, I went to an eye exam. It had been the first one in a while. I'll admit, I'm sorry. I know I'm not supposed to do that. Uh, it was the first eye exam I'd had in a while. And I went in and they did all the crazy things. Like the, um, we'll call it the really scientific name for the machine, the puffer. You know that one? Uh, where it gives you this awful puff of air in your eye and you feel like, you're just ready to go home after that moment. And I remember they did that and they were like, oh, we need to do that again just to check. And I'm like, oh, this is misery. This is the worst thing could ever happen. Um, and I remember they did it because they were checking the pressure level of my eyes, right? Um, and so they were worried at that moment about the pressures in their eyes. So I went to another test and this other test actually um, tested like my periphery vision. And if I could... Um, see in the periphery. So I, I was handed these like joysticks. All you students are like, this is so funny. This is a simple, a simple man just trying to describe what I do for a living. Um, I was handed these joysticks and every time I saw a dot, I would have to like push a button, right? Be like, boom, boom, saw a dot. So I get done with it and I'm like, I killed that. Like I, I played Mario my whole life and Frogger. Like I'm, if I know I'm good at one thing, I'm good at video games. And, uh, the doctor walked in and they said, um, sir, actually your, your peripheral vision is awful. They're like, you have X amount of, you know, out of a hundred dots that we presented, um, you only got 75 of them. And there were 25 that you just didn't even see. You didn't even notice. You didn't even realize we're there because your periphery vision was so skewed. It was a blind spot. I think the same could be true for us when we talk about being merciful to others. I promise in my own heart, there are blind spots for particular groups of people. There are blind spots for particular ways to help that because of my cynicism or because of my busyness, I just keep going down the road and I never see it. I never see it. We have these blind spots because <clears throat> of where we are with understanding who it is 
we're called to be merciful towards. So that leads us to the second question. If we're, if we're hurt or cynical or if we're busy and we, we get to the point of saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work in my life to, to uproot some of those things. But then even if I do, who is it, Lord, that I'm supposed to be on the lookout for? Who is it that my eyes are supposed to be focused towards? So the question is, who are the least of these? And here's what I want you to see. The least of these is not a value placement put up on a person. It's a vulnerability scale used to measure their current circumstances. How do I know it's not a value scale? Because we have our value scale in Genesis 1:27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The homeless, the person experiencing homelessness, the person experiencing sickness, the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, they are not less valuable. The Bible tells us that they are made in God's image, just like you, just like me. It is not about how valuable they are. They are equally valuable in the kingdom of God. What it talks about when it's talking about the least of these is how vulnerable they are. Let me put it a different way. There's an image on the screen. I think often we think of it as a ladder because in all of our lives, we've been taught to climb a ladder, right? We want to be at the top rung of the ladder. We want to be doing better than our peers, right? We want to be above them so that we're leading out, making more money or being more well-respected. And then we look at those lower that we presume lower than us as those that are less fortunate. And then even further down below, you could classify people as the least of these. Guys, this is how I've thought about this stuff forever. This is a value placement. I'm afraid our church in this time in our city sees the least of these in this way. I'm afraid that we've placed less value on people because of their current circumstances. When instead... Jesus is asking us to go to them, not because they're less valuable, but because they're more vulnerable. If you kick that ladder on its side and then all of a sudden you see this, this wall that you have between you who's maybe living in some comfort or some safety and then this person who's experiencing the least of these living in places that are extremely vulnerable. And how do you get there? How do you make the trek across and say, all right, how do I open my life up in a way that I, I am seeing and being part of those that are vulnerable? It's not a value placement. It's a vulnerability scale, okay? One of my all-time favorite Christian heroes is a guy named Henry Nowen. And uh, Henry Nowen was like full-time in ministry. He was a Catholic priest um, and he was pretty brilliant. And at one point in his life, he kind of like left all that away, said, I don't want to do that anymore. And he walked into this um, organization where um, those with mental and physical handicaps lived in a community. And for the next like 20 to 30 years of his life, He lived right there with them as like the resident pastor. And it's in those moments where he learned what it means to associate, to to live amongst and have a vision for the least of these. One of the things he says in one of his books is this. Jesus' whole life and mission involve accepting powerlessness and revealing this powerlessness, the limitlessness of God's love. Here we see what compassion means. It's not a bending towards underprivileged from a privileged position. It's not a reaching out from on high to those who are less fortunate below. It is not a gesture of sympathy or pity for those who fail to make it in the upward pull. On the contrary, compassion means going directly to those people and places where suffering is most acute and building a home there. It's not about reaching down. It's not about giving something, giving someone something that they don't have that you have. It is in a position 
of come and get what I have. Mercy and compassion. Mercy is the compassionate treatment of those in distress, meaning it's our willingness to walk across the aisle and live in the places they live. To walk in the things they walk in. If we go back to Matthew 25, you see who, who are those who are vulnerable? They were hungry. They were thirsty, a stranger. They were naked. They were sick. They were in prison. Those are all their circumstances. They are described by their current circumstance, not their value as a human. And I'm afraid. I am so afraid that somewhere down the line, church, we have gotten to a place of valuing people by the, by the circumstances they're in and not by the image that they bear. That's the challenge today. So the question we have to ask again is who are the least of these? Well, scripturally, there's a list. Uh, I remember around 2014, as we were trying to do local ministry well, we just said, all right, who, how do we do this? How do we even figure out what it looks like to, to care for people in our city well? And we realized that biblically, throughout scripture, time and time again, there is evidence that God has a heart for certain people in certain situations. God has a heart for the sick and the poor, the fatherless, the widow, the stranger, and the imprisoned. In Luke, um, let's see if it's on here. Yeah, Luke 4, 18 through 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is when Jesus goes back, uh, goes back and teaches in the synagogue, right? And he opens the scroll and he reads the scripture to fulfill the prophecy. But he says, he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and their covering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. James 1.27 tells us that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Exodus twenty two twenty one. as the Israelites have left Egypt, God reminds them, you should not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. For you two were sojourners or strangers in the land of Egypt. These people are scattered throughout the scripture narrative. We see over and over and over again, God makes sure to tell his people, be on the lookout for these people. Isn't it crazy that thousands of years later, this group of people is still the group of people that we're seeing on an everyday basis that need mercy. It's almost as if God knew that for as long as humanity lived in brokenness, there would be these groups of vulnerable people. And his answer was for the church to be the answer to that vulnerability. You may ask, and this isn't on the screen, but I just want, I want to run you through some things. And some of these are, are, are somewhat jarring. For those that were sick, especially during COVID, did you know that 98% felt that the presence of a visitor improved their overall well-being and satisfaction? 86% reported that visitors were involved in helping with their care upon discharge. For patients with no visitors, 60% felt like having someone come and visit them in their sickness would have improved their health. This time last year, an estimated 1,500 students in Shelby County were experiencing homelessness. Students, kids, experiencing homelessness here in our city. The poverty rate of Memphis compared to the national average, double. One in four homes in Memphis have kids growing up without a father in them. 85% of in-prison people grew up in fatherless homes. 
those living in fatherless homes are four times more likely to live in poverty. And they're 60% of our black households, our black brothers and sisters. 60% live in poverty. A kid, a teenager, a young adolescent kid, Jeremiah and I were talking about this over lunch the other day, um, just talking about just the need for mentorship in communities that have fatherlessness. Kids that um, grow up in fatherless homes, especially young male kids, are 279% more likely to deal drugs and carry firearms as an adolescent. of international students that are here for school, three out of four will never step foot inside of an American home. I I hope that's somewhat jarring and sobering to you. We live in a world where people that have value but are vulnerable are being left alone. I remember I was talking to a friend of mine, Steve Johnson at uh, kingdom church. And I remember it was right before we decided to come here and plant. And I just asked him like asking him all sorts of questions, you know, Hey, basically why will this work? Well, does this make sense? Do you feel, you know, I was just asking him advice on a lot of different things. And one of the things he said, and it's, it has stuck with me from the time he said it is he said, particularly in Uptown, there is no gospel movement. Particularly in Uptown, there is no gospel momentum going forward. And then he said, you can see that as one or two ways. You can see it and think, wow, that's terrible, which it is, right? You can see it and think, man, what in the world has gone on in this neighborhood, this part of the city, that there's no active gospel presence? Or, and also, you can take it as, what a wonderful time to be a part of something new and being the gospel presence in this place. I'll go ahead and ask the questions that you're all thinking It's a hard time to be in Memphis. There are so many news articles and interviews. And just last night, before I went to bed, Audrey called into the hotline of seven gunshots in our neighborhood. It happens all the time. The violence, the, the lack of programming for young kids that are finding themselves committing these awful acts because they're wanting to be a part of community that they can't find anywhere else. The poverty that we're seeing, all of it that is just like surrounding us. And it is just, it just feels like darkness. The encouragement I have for you is this, where you stand determines what you see. If you want to stand in the place of looking at all the bad things that are happening, you're welcome to do that. Because it's true, it's not a false reality. It is a hard time to live in this city. I've got friends that have all moved away, all moved out east, all moved far away because raising kids in the city is hard. Or they experience this terrible, awful, unimaginable thing. And they've had to walk away from things that they loved and care about because it was too hard. I know that some of those decisions may be on the table for you today. You may be like saying, well, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't know if I can keep moving forward. What I'll tell you is in the midst of this brokenness and darkness, although it is difficult and unimaginable without the strength and the spirit of God, there is no better place to be a light. There is no better place to be merciful. There's no greater need than right here to decide I'm going to be 
a compassionate, I'm going to treat others compassionately that are in distress. So the question is, what has to change for that to work? For, for that to happen, what has to change? We could, we could make some programs for like youth in our city, or we could uh, have food distribution to help with uh, homelessness and poverty, and we could try to <clears throat> have strategies to deal with some of these things. But the truth is, the only way some of this changes is through the heart. Mercy comes only from the deep well of our own need for God in our desperation and a desire for people to have the same. I can't program mercy. Our church can't program mercy. The only way you become a merciful person is if you realize your deep, desperate need for God and you realize that you have a desire for others that don't have that to have that. I can't do that work for you. Our church can't, can't lead you to the water so that you will drink from the water. You've got to come to a point to say, I'm willing to be vulnerable, Lord. I'm willing to step in the places of those who are the most vulnerable. And in doing so, I'm willing to become vulnerable because that's what you did for me. The reminder is this, Jesus took on our sin. He took on our shame. He took on our punishment and he wore it on a cross naked for everyone to see. How do we know what mercy is? Because Jesus modeled it for us. And if his mercy that was modeled for us isn't the thing that leads our hearts to well up and a desire for mercy for others, then we're at a place where we've got to evaluate what has happened to our heart. We are called to be merciful people. Charles Spurgeon said this, he who grows in grace remembers that he is but dust. And therefore does not expect his fellow people to be anything more. He overlooks 10,000 of their faults because he knows his God overlooks 20,000 in his own case. He does not expect perfection in the creature. And therefore he is not disappointed when he does not find it. If our hope is in Jesus... When, when we're looking at this, this idea of being merciful to others, if we place our hope in Jesus, we will not be disappointed. If we place our hope in others, we will surely be disappointed. I tell you that from experience. We've been cussed, accused, punched once, right, Audrey? Um, the reason that we got to a place where we wanted to live in mercy was because we realized that we had a deep need for mercy. You, you look at the people on that list, the sick, the fatherless, the poor, the stranger. I think there's a unique reason that list is that way because if you do the hard work and put yourself in places of those people, you begin to realize your deep need as the same person spiritually. Whenever we used to teach ESL classes, I remember walking into class and I remember very vividly some of our students just needed a place to talk and conversate because they didn't, they didn't know English or have any skill in English. And so we would just give them that. And then I remember one day this uh, Russian guy from uh, St. Jude came in. I think his name was Ivan, and which is the greatest Russian name ever, right? It sounds like a made-up story, but I promise it's not. Um, he came in, and he, know, he knew zero English, not a word. And so we just stared at each other, like, what are we, how do we do this? 
And I remember as our team started to work with Ivan, we realized that like it pushed us to places of realizing our deep need as strangers to the Lord. And when the Lord came and met us in our need, because we were getting to minister out of what the Lord had done for us. Just a couple weeks ago, one of the coolest things that I've gotten to be a part of, I was sitting across at a meeting for uh, Greenlaw Gym in Uptown. I'm sitting there with a couple people that I'm just trying to build a relationship with and know better so that hopefully we can begin doing more ministry out of that place in the community. And in front of me sits down this 22, 23-year-old kid. He sits down as part of the meeting. We're across the table from each other. And I look up and I recognize his face and he recognizes mine. And um, we both jump up and like give each other the biggest like bear hug. And then meanwhile, other people at the table are like, well, this is kind of awkward. Like, this is really weird. And uh, I don't know what's going on here. And so he sat back down and I sat back down and one of the leaders of the gym was like, so do you, would you like to tell us what that was about? And in this moment, um, this kid was a kid that years ago, we used to hang out with and mentor, Audrey and I. We used to give him rides home. He used to shower sometimes at our house, eat dinner with us. I remember actually a picture um, that popped up just a few months ago of my family, all of my family, extended family at Gus's, and then there's LaDavion sitting there with us at Gus's. And it was just a sweet reminder of like time spent with him and time spent mentoring and being a part. And in that moment, when we sat there at that table and they said, tell me what this is about, LaDavion spoke up and he said, when I had no one else, when no one cared about me, they did. When no one was there for me, they were. When I, I didn't have a dad, he was my dad. And I'm sitting there like tears in my eyes, like, oh, yeah, okay, you know. It doesn't always end up that way, y'all. For the, for the few stories I have of that, I've got 10 other stories of kids that I've cared for, mentored, lived in my house that are now in jail or dead. But if we're willing to be vulnerable, if we're willing to walk in it and, and use it in our lives wherever we are, we get to see and taste something that is so sweet. Just a week ago, he was on my porch. He's not a believer. And I just got to just simply walk him through the gospel and say, well, Davion, I think this is what you're missing. And one of the things he said is, how do I know that I can be forgiven for all that I've done. How do I know? I, I feel like I have to walk in this neighborhood to put fear so that I can be respected. I have to be feared. I remember looking at him and I said, do you fear me, LaDavion? He said, no, I don't fear you. I said, why not? Oh, I said, no, I said, do you respect me? He said, of course I respect you. I said, Why? He said, because you live your life in a way that I want to live my life. You care for others the way I want to care for others. You are a father to your kids the way I want to be a father to my kids. You, you take care of your family the way I want to take care of my family. You treat others the way I want to treat others. Do you see it, y'all? If we're willing to like do, just be who God has called us to be where we are, with our eyes open to those around us, the opportunity is ready for us to see the work of God. But we've got to walk in it. A couple things I want to leave you with today, and I've got a couple practical outlets for you, uh, just because I think we need some of that. But the first thing is this. I want to see a renewed vision for mercy here at ICC. And the first point, I'd love for you to write these down because We've talked about the heart. I can't do that for you. I can't change your heart towards mercy, but the Lord can. So the first thing I would ask is like, 
Get to a point in this week where you're saying, is my heart hard towards others in this city, especially those that are least of these? Or is my heart soft? And I'm, am I willing to place myself in vulnerable places so that I can be around those that are vulnerable? Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Mercy is not additional. It's intentional. Listen, I know there are so many of you that interact with these pop, this population of vulnerable people through your job, through your work, through uh, even school or things that you're a part of. What I'm asking you to do is not to do more, but just to be reminded of why God has you in that place. Why God has put you in a place to be around people that are vulnerable and have the needs they have and to have a renewed sense of joy to do that work. Okay, we don't need you to do more. We need you to do exactly what you're doing with the eyes and the hearts of intentionality. The second thing is compassionate work with partners that are already experts with different populations of people. So today I am super excited after the service, uh, we've set up uh, like a local ministry fair of different organizations throughout the city that are already doing this good work with these types of people, the least of these types of people, the circumstances that they're walking in. We have people today that are here doing that work and they're saying, if you're interested, come do that work with us. I, there's no greater joy in my life than to be able to join in with someone who's always, already doing God's work and be able to see how my efforts can help multiply the things that are being done. So I would encourage you today to head, when we're done, head out those doors. There are nine different ministries that we have that are all across this city. And just you have a chance to hear and learn about what they're doing and find ways to be a part. I promise you there is one, if you're anything like me, there is probably one specific group of people, one specific group or circumstance that your heart just beats out of your chest for. And I would just encourage you to lean on that feeling, to lean on that call and to walk in confidence and say, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this well. I just know that God's calling me to, to be part of mercy for a specific group of people. And the last thing is this, being a person of mercy where you live, you work, and you play. Being a person of mercy where you live, work, and play. Reorient yourself around that. What does it look like in my neighborhood right now to be a person of mercy? What does it look like for my neighbor to the left, to the right of me, in front of me to be a person of mercy? In the hobby that I have, maybe I play church league softball or in a bowling league. I don't know if those even exist anymore, but in, in those areas that I find hobbies in, where in that hobby can I find these groups of people or circumstances and where can I be used? Does that make sense? It's a holistic understanding of who we are as a person and how God shaped us. I'm gonna invite Tad and the worship team to come up. More than anything, y'all, I just I want you to hear the truth of we are called to be merciful people because we've been given so much mercy. If we understand that, if we live in it, if we walk in it, I promise you, we'll begin to see what we see in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Memphis, around this world, mercy is the catalyst. Jesus's grace and mercy is the catalyst for real change. That change has to start in our hearts. It has to start in our attitudes about how we see each other, how we see others. Be willing to admit others' vulnerabilities, even our own vulnerabilities, and to be able to walk in that with compassion. Be able to walk in that with trust that the Lord knows what he's doing and why he has us. 
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I... You are the giver of all good things. God, when we are scared to walk in compassion or mercy, afraid of the consequence of being frustrated or disappointed, even vulnerable, God, I pray that we would look to you. The God of the universe all power at your hands deciding to be vulnerable on our behalf finding us where we were lost in darkness of our sin and coming to us Emmanuel God with us God, as we close out today, God, I just pray. I pray that you would be glorified, God. I pray that we would not work in vain, but God, mercy would not be seen as an action, but just an overflow of who you are in our lives, what you've done in our lives. Help us to love you, God. Help us to worship you. And in that worship, God, just give us a heart for others that we may not have even yet seen or known, or we've, we've been lazy or, or slacked off on God, I just pray that you would renew in us a deep, deep passion and a desire to be used to care and love for those in those circumstances of vulnerability. We give it to you, Lord. Come, fill our hearts, allow us to Make decisions today that would lead us on the path of righteousness for the city, for others. God, be with us today. Help us see it today. Come join this place. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.